Well, good morning. My name is John. I'm a pastor on staff here. If you haven't seen me up here before, did you guys have a good Christmas? Yeah. Good. Did you get some presents? Yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad. I hope you all did, because we got some at my house. Even my dogs got presents. Yeah. My uh, my wife always sets up little stockings and stuff. But actually, my aunt sent us something. And so I, I went to see what, what you guys thought of it. Let's take a look here. I got a picture on the screen. Look at that. You got a little shirt. And they live in New England, so it's like, you know, it's a very tropical shirt. That's uh, Little Max. I don't know if you guys know, we had puppies uh, a few months ago. And we have a couple left, some we sold and gave away. And we got Max. I think I got another picture here. This is Collar. Yeah. And then another picture of them all together here. Yeah, that's the mom. They're like hanging out, just chilling in Florida. So yeah, my dogs, uh, they, they were great. They took it really well because, you know, I, I, I don't really like putting clothes on dogs. And I always think that they're going to like fight or bite or argue. And they were so good, you know. And, and that's one of the questions I get a lot because people have inquired about them. These are Boston Terriers. And people say, well, are Boston Terriers, are they good dogs? Are they calm dogs? I'm like, yeah, they're awesome. You know, they love people. They love other animals. They're friendly. And like they don't make much of a peep at all, too. They hardly bark. When I got Max, who was the dad, he, uh, I got him like six years ago. I didn't even know what his bark sounded like for like three months because he just like sits around, does nothing. You know, he plays a little, he hangs out, he eats. They kind of it looks kind of like this at my house during the day. You got another? There we go. They're just like <clears throat> they're sacked out, like nothing's going on. They're mellow, they're chilled out. But the funny thing is, about one time, like every week or so, I guess approximately. Something possesses these guys and they go nuts. Take a look. I brought a video of this just so you could see it because normally they're just so calm. And here's a, here's a video of me cutting the lawn. And the dogs go crazy. They get nuts. They, they, something uh, takes them over. It's like they're possessed. Their eyes glaze over. They start trying to attack a lawnmower that they can't possibly take out. I just hit my wife with the ball there. And... Uh, and I really shouldn't call it my lawn. It's more like weeds, as you can see. But these guys go crazy. And they do this the whole time. The whole time. As long as they can. If they're inside, they're trying to figure a way they can get outside. I mean, they're trying to do whatever it is they can do to get to that lawnmower. It's like it's got some power over them. Some kind of hypnotic control. I mean, they are like slaves to this thing once it starts up. I mean, you guys have... Maybe they do that to your vacuum. Right? You've seen that happen? Or to your broom, that's another one. You start sweeping, they start trying to attack it. <clears throat> it's crazy how powerful an influence the lawnmower has over my dogs. Not even I have that kind of power over them. But in a similar way, there are things in life that can have incredible influence and power over you and me and in our lives. And there are things that are influencing us all the time. Every day we make decisions based on circumstances in our lives. And, for instance, my dogs, they make decisions uh, and are influenced by certain things when they got to go poop, when they want to eat, when they want to sleep, when they want affection, right? And just like the dogs, you and me, we, we have similar uh, influences in our lives, um, but we also have some others, maybe like our jobs, our families, food, houses, cars. And some things have more power and influence over our lives than others. And you see, that's where the problem comes in. There are some things so influentially powerful in our lives that they can take us places that we don't want to go, places we've never intended to go. 
and do things that we never thought we would ever do or wanted to do. You see, all of us have these lawnmowers, if you will, in our lives that just kind of control us. They get calls and we go and we have no choice because that's the kind of power it has over us. You know, around this time of year, I start thinking about New Year's resolutions, right? A couple days away, New Year's is coming and man, we want next year to be a lot better than that last year. But I can't help but thinking all the things I didn't get accomplished last year because now I'm trying to figure out what's on my list for next year, right? All these things. I was supposed to learn Spanish. Sorry, I didn't learn Spanish. <laughs> next year. But listen, things got in the way. You see, there were other influences that got in the way, like things that were demanding time on my schedule, like the TV, right? Come on. These things that derailed me from the goals that I had in mind. You know, and these things consume our resources and they can leave us without ever having achieved our goals. Maybe chocolate was the thing that derailed your eating plan, right? Maybe it was the TV that wrecked your goal, kind of like mine. Like Each of us dream of a better life every year. In order to achieve them, though, we must identify some of these lawnmower influences that we have in our lives and we need to remove them. We need to get them out of the way. When we do that, we free up our time and our energy and our resources so that we can really pursue the things that we wanted to pursue and go to the places that we wanted to go. And you see, that's what really the book of Proverbs is all about. The book of Proverbs is about removing these lawnmowers in our lives. And you guys saw from the video, we're in the middle of a series called Vintage Wisdom, which is a study of the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is full of wisdom for how to make choices in our lives every day. In Proverbs 31, we find this woman who's giving advice to her soon-to-be king so that he's going to be a very prosperous and successful king. It was Bathsheba. You guys know who Bathsheba was? She was the one that David had an affair with, and then she has a son, her, and King David, and his, his, she has a son, his Solomon, and Solomon's going to be the king, and she's writing him some advice. She says some things. Here is what you need to know. I'm making the saying. This is what you need to know. And most of us know Proverbs 31 because it has the Proverbs 31 woman in it, right? Because he's saying, she says to her son, listen, one of the things that you don't want to do is just pursue all sorts of women. That pursuit is going to lead you into slavery. What I want you to do is find the right woman. So she writes up this perfect woman. And she says, this is the one you want to follow after. But tucked into those verses is another interesting piece of advice that she gives him. And I have it in your outline today. It's Proverbs 31, 4 through 7. It says this, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol, for if they drink, they may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. Alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. I mean, she stops to give Solomon advice about alcohol. Man, of all things, why? Because I think alcohol is so much like the lawnmower to our dogs. It's the thing that has complete power over it. It's a perfect example of how something can be in control of who we are, you and I. And we're going to talk about alcohol today, but we're going to see that the message is about much more than just alcohol. See, the principles that we're going to discuss today are going to be able to apply to all the things that have influence in our lives. So we're going to get started. If you'll pull out your outline right now, there are three pieces of advice within this verse that she gives. Three warnings, if you will. And the first warning is, I need to be careful around the things I crave. The things I crave. That's what she writes. Rulers should not crave alcohol. 
She tells them not to desire it, to crave it. You know, anything that we strongly desire or crave should be a warning sign to you and me. You know, a lot of us have these things that come up, these desires. Because what happens is when we desire something so much, when we crave it, we're only a short step or two away from obsession, aren't we? We're just a couple steps away. You know, but it doesn't always start that way. That doesn't start with obsession. It starts with this strong desire. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to share a little bit about my past experiences with alcohol. I'm going to tell you a few things, and, uh, you know, some of them I'm not that proud of, to be honest. And some of the things I'm going to say I'm not really bragging about. In fact, again, I'm ashamed of a lot of the things that I've done in my past. And some of them are going to be funny, but I'm not trying to glorify the use of alcohol either. I just want to let you know that. But I began drinking when I was about 16 years old. I still remember the first time that I drank. I went out camping with my friends. It was three of us. And one friend brought a six-pack of beer. So I had a drink, and we had a couple drinks. And that was enough, of course, to make me feel really good at that age, at that time of my life, because I wasn't a drinker. But listen, I realized over time that alcohol came to me pretty easily and quickly. I had an older brother, and I had friends, and they had older brothers and sisters, and we just had connections. So... I began to drink regularly. And what I didn't realize at that time was there was a lot, of, there was a lot behind while I was drinking. Now, a year ago, I shared with you, if you weren't here, that my life was a little bit different. When I was six years old, my mother and father, they said, hey, see you later. They left. And I was raised by my grandparents, but at 11 years old, my grandfather died. And at about 15 years old, my grandmother got sick with cancer. She was living in a hospital bed in our living room. And she passed away when I was still a junior in high school. And I didn't understand, but I was filled with anger, frustration, and resentment because I didn't know who to blame. In fact, I wasn't trying to blame anybody. I was suppressing it. And all this was inside of me. And so I continued to drink and drink and drink. And the way I describe how I used to drink is this. This is how I used to, this is the way I do describe it, is that I cannot remember, nor can I count, the number of times that I have thrown up. That's right. I didn't say drink. I didn't say get drunk. I said the number of times I'd thrown up. I honestly do not remember how many. All I know is I used to do it very often. That's how much I used to drink. Listen, at that time, I didn't even think that was a big deal. Because some of my friends would get that drunk and everything would happen like that. I didn't even think it was big. What I didn't realize is that alcohol was starting to gain control of me, but I didn't understand that. You see, signs began to pop up that made me think twice, but they still really didn't ring the bell in my head. You see, there was a time I was thrown in jail overnight. I was at a friend's party, got in a fight. Me and my brother. The cop came over to me and he says, who are you? And I said, well, who are you? And that was it. <laughs> Some advice. Don't ever say that to a cop. Listen, a short time after that, I was 18 years old. I got convicted of drunk driving. Arrested and convicted. You're like, oh my God, you, Pastor John? No. Yes. Listen, I began... Um, Drinking one night, I remember when I was in college, I returned to my dorm room, my dorm room floor. People were out. I was so drunk, so angry, I challenged everybody on the floor to a fight. Everybody. Like, nuts. No, but thank God no one took me on because I had to get killed. Listen, the angers and frustrations that were inside of me and my brothers was huge. We all went to the same college. We went to UMass Amherst. If you guys are familiar with that, uh, Amherst College is there. That's where they filled Animal House, right? called Zumass for short. It's a party school. There's like five colleges in that area. It's one of the most collegiate areas in the, in the country. And parties everywhere. 
We were so bad that when we would go to a party, we were going places and people knew us, they would say, oh, the Solarolis are here. There's a fight's going to break out. That's how bad we used to get drunk and do things. Listen, these things still didn't get my attention. All these things that are happening in my life. I'm like, hey, that's still all right. You see, the reason why I thought it was all right is I could quit. I could stop anytime I wanted. I could go two weeks and not touch a drink. I could go a month and not touch a drink. I used to prove it to my friends. We'd go out and I'd drink club soda while they were drinking beer. I'd go to the, the bathroom, I'd come back out, and someone would put gin or vodka in my drink. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they like drinking alone. I don't know, but I thought I had everything under control. But here's what happened. Something ended up getting my attention. You see, there came a point in my drinking career when I began to realize that when I went out that night, the night before, I would return and I didn't have any money left. You see, I would drink until all the money in my pocket was gone. Whether it was 50 bucks, I would spend it. And I'm pretty cheap, so it wasn't a lot in my pocket. But sometimes it was like 100. Who knows? If it was 100, it was 50, whatever the number was, it was gone the next day. And a little light went off in my head because when I had that DUI back when I was 18 years old, this is probably 10 years later, I realized that they were, some of the teaching that they told us, they said, if this is happening to you, these are the signs of alcoholism. And then I began to question, my God, what am I doing? Where am I going? That light began to go off in my head. You see, when we've begun to desire something so much that it begins to take control of our lives, there's a big problem. The Bible says this, temptation comes from our own desires, our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. That is, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Death, excuse me. It's our own desires that starts it, right? The desires began the path that led us to this place of sin and death. It didn't begin right there. But it began with the desires that we have. And so we have to be careful. Listen, I've never met anybody who said they want to stay in the bad habit that they're in. I don't meet people at the end of the year, chain smokers, who say, you know, I'm smoking a pack a day and I want to get to two packs next year a day. They're not saying that. Listen, people who are trying to quit drinking coffee are not telling me, yeah, I'm trying to get to a pot every morning. That's not what they're saying. Listen, people who want to lose weight are not saying, I'm trying to increase my, my food intake. In fact, I've come up with a new meal. It's called dinner. It becomes between lunch and dinner. That's what I want to do, just gain weight. They don't say that. They're trying to do, no, the opposite. They're trying to break free of the thing that has control over them. Listen, these things, these influencers can take over our lives. Just like the lawnmower, man, takes over my dogs. They become possessed. It can happen for you and me. Listen, when we find ourselves, we're confronted with things we crave, then we should ask ourselves this question. It's in your outline. We should ask ourselves, what is the choice, this choice, going to mean for me? What is this choice going to mean for me? You see, I'm not saying that every choice that we make, that everything, every desire we have is bad for you. But the tendency for things that are a desire for us is that they can become obsessions that can become destructive, just like alcohol. The fact that we, des- that we desire something so strongly should send up a flag immediately in our heads. You know where you see this a, real, a lot, a whole lot, is in relationships. You know, you see people who's like, I cannot live without her, I'll die. Or him, I can't live without him. Now, if you're married, I hope you feel that way. But if you're not, that should be saying something to you. 
It's starting to slip from a strong desire to a place that becomes obsession. Movie stars and singers have been killed over these types of things. Listen, we need to be asking ourselves, is this choice, where is it going to take me in the next eight hours? Is it helping to get me where I want to go or is it taking me farther away? How will this choice affect those closest to me? At first, you see, I wasn't asking any of these questions. When, the D, when I got the DUI, that should have been enough to tell me, but I wasn't asking the questions. I could tell you so many more stories and signs that were given to me at that time. I could fill our morning with stories. But when I started to ask these questions, what does it mean for me? That's when it made a difference in my life. That's when I began. And that's what we have to do, is look at the choices and say, what do they mean for you and me? Listen, Bathsheba goes on. She says, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol, for they drink, they may forget the law. They may forget the law. The second thing is, I, want, I need to be careful around things that can lead me from God. Things that can lead me from God. The debate over how biblical wine drinking is continues. You see, there's people that fall on both sides. Well, you know, there, you, some people believe you can drink, and some people believe, oh, you shouldn't even touch a drop. You know, well, didn't Jesus at the uh, wedding of Cana in Galilee, didn't he make water, wine out of water? What about that? You know, what about the Passover we celebrate in the Lord's Supper and has wine and bread? How about that? To be honest, this topic is just so controversial, it's hard to know even among theologians. The primary use of the word wine in the New Testament is used in such a variety of places, it's hard to know what it means. You see, because it can mean a freshly squeezed grape, grape juice, all the way to something that's been fermented and hard, hardened with hard liquor in it, or, you know, like hard wine. Anywhere in between, it's used in all those stages, so we're not really that sure at times. I can tell you this, new wine, which Jesus made, what was called new wine, was any, anywhere from 1 to 40 days old. But then again... If you ever left grape juice out of your refrigerator for more than a week, you know, where does that put us? And old wine was anything over a year. That's what it would refer to. So that was definitely wine uh, with alcohol. And if you went to the Passover, it was mixed with three parts of water and one part of wine. So because they said, hey, we definitely want to be getting drunk here. You see, arguments mount up on both sides. And what is clear is that, though, in the Bible, is that drinking and getting drunk is sin. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it tells us getting drunk, getting under the influence of, of alcohol, that is not where God wants us to be. So everybody says, oh, great, I can drink as long as I don't get drunk, right? And what is drunk? I mean, where, where it's drunk? Florida law says that 0.08% alcohol content level is drunk. At least you can't operate heavy equipment. Right? You get pulled over, that's the blood level limit. But where's the line? Where do we get drunk? When do we lose control? When are we no longer in control? Is it one drink for you? Is it two drinks? Is it 1.5 drinks? Well, I don't know if I know. You know, all of us have different uh, tolerance levels. And the more you drink, the higher your tolerance level gets. I remember when I was drinking a lot, I was excited that my tolerance level was huge. I could drink so much. Now... I don't even want to know what it is. I don't even want to come close to it. I don't even want to, I don't even want to even have the inkling of where it's at. Because it's not the wisest thing for me to do. 
Listen to this verse in your outline. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink, by drink cannot be wise. If you're led astray by drink, it says you can't be wise. That means the opposite of that, God's saying you're a fool. If you're led astray by wine, that means you are a fool. I play the fool. But sometimes lines are not always easy to recognize when it comes to these kind of lawnmower influences in our lives. You know, alcohol and drugs, it's very obvious when you're crossing that line, right? Slurred speech, lack of, uh, of inhibition, stumbling. You might like just start singing all of a sudden and you don't like normally sing. But some things are not so easy to tell when we are not in control anymore. Like gambling, sexual addictions. Maybe you're a shopaholic, compulsive shopping. And where is that line? Where does that line come in? So that's why I think it's important for us to ask this next question. We should ask ourselves, does this choice lead me closer to God or away from God? Does it lead me closer to God or away from God? Often we want to know how far we can go and still be biblical, still be not sin, right? How far can I get to before it's sin? So we ask, is what does it say in the Bible? Does the Bible talk about it? Does the Bible say anything against it? Is it specific? Because if it's not specific, there may be a loophole here that I can get into. You see, sometimes the Bible doesn't mention every single thing. Listen, though we don't really phrase it this way, we're wondering, really, how far can I go? How many drinks can I have? It would be easy if God just said, hey, you can have two, right? (laughs) Or one. Wouldn't that be the easiest thing? All right, great, I know my limit. Good. But that's not what happens. You see, because this decision, does this choice lead me closer to God or away from God, it doesn't just answer a sin question because that's the first thing that comes to mind but sometimes things that control us can consume all of our time so that we're not drawing close to god they could do that and so it's better to ask that question than to ask is it against the law or not because if we're thinking it's about rules then we miss the whole point of the commandment you realize that that the the bible did not we don't have the ten commandments we don't have the commandments the law from god so that we can keep a bunch of rules. That's not why it's there. See, God gave his word to the Israelites so that we would know when we're in right relationship with God and with other people, when we're doing right, when we're kind of doing the right thing. The law has always been about relationship and not rules. It tells us what it means to love God and love other people. You see, in the book of Matthew, there's some Pharisees that come up to Jesus and they say, hey, tell us, what is the law? What's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? Listen, it's on the screen here. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Everything that was written in the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, is all based on our relationship with God and with other people. So the question that makes the most sense is not whether I can do this or not, but the question that makes the most sense is, does this choice lead me closer to God or away from God when it comes to these type of issues in our lives, when it comes to these lawnmower-influencing issues? Listen, she also gives them some more advice. It says, if they drink, they may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. She's telling them that 
I need to be careful around things that affect my judgment. Things that affect my judgment. That's the third fill-in. When I uh, went to college up at University of Massachusetts, for two years I lived in the dorms, and for two years I lived off campus in an apartment. And there was four of us who lived in the apartment because, uh, you know, so you could afford it. And uh, two of them were very short guys. They were like this tall, right? And because they were short and they were about the same size, they were like equal matches for each other because they really weren't a match for anybody else. So when we came back after drinking at night, this routine happened every time. There would be a, a wrestling match that would break out between the two of them. And this wrestling would start. And some days they would end up covered in shaving cream. And some days it would be food and, and, and just bruises or scratches. I don't know. They would always do these things. They would wrestle. Well, one night, the two friends, one was Scott, one was Chris. Scott got Chris really mad when whatever, whatever he did. I can't even remember what he did. But he had Chris so mad that Scott runs into the bedroom. He locks the door. And he escapes out the window. Okay? Now, the window is only like four feet to the ground, but it's pouring rain outside. And so as he goes out, and he's in Chris's room, by the way, he drags Chris's pillow, bed sheets, and cover out the door. So they're half out the door, and they're covered in mud. So by the time we got the door open, that's all you see. Scott had escaped. And then, well, Chris is so mad. Chris now can't even see straight. And Chris is waiting up for Scott to come home. And he's like, I'm going to if he comes through the window, I'm going to get him. If he comes through the front door, I'm going to get him. And Chris stayed up. I don't know. I finally went to bed. We get up in the morning and we start cleaning. And everybody's cleaning. That's what you do on Saturday morning, right? And then we're hanging out. And um, I start looking around. We're kind of recovering from our hangovers. And I'm like, well, where's, where's Scott? We're like, yeah, hey, where's Scott? You know, where did he go? And then all of a sudden, we, the door opens up. And there's Scott in the middle of the doorway. Wearing the same clothes he was wearing the night before. We're like, Scott, what happened? And he goes, well, last night I went out the window. And then I ran away and I hid a little bit from Chris because I didn't want him to get me. And then I climbed back in the window. I went into the living room and I fell asleep on the couch. And when I woke up in the morning, I realized it wasn't our apartment. He woke up in somebody else's apartment. Listen, alcohol corrupts our judgment. That's what it does. It affects our judgment. The truth is, I I probably don't have to tell you guys that, do I? Most of you probably experienced it already. The truth is, statistics tell us that 58% of 12th graders have already been drunk at least once. That's a lot. 12th graders. Listen, the reason alcohol corrupts our judgment is that alcohol is a depressant. It's a depressant. You know, you have stimulants and you have depressants. Alcohol is actually a depressant. And that means it slows down brain activity and it starts to shut things down in our body. You're like, well, I thought it was a stimulant. You know, I feel really good sometimes and, uh, you know, I feel happy, whatever. Well, what it's doing is the first thing it does is it it kind of attacks the outer brain as you're starting to drink. And then what that does, it affects your judgment and it lowers your inhibitions. So you might feel euphoria. You might feel anger, anxiety, depression, aggression. You might be very amorous, right, because you're feeling good. And that's what happens. It begins there. But then it goes to the cerebellum. I had to look that up. That's a little part at the bottom of the brain. And when it goes to there, as you drink more and it keeps seeping in, well, then you lose your coordination and your perception begins to become affected. And you can actually have blackouts, loss of memory. But if you continue to keep drinking and it keeps seeping in, it goes to the midbrain and then your reflexes diminish. And you've seen people stumbling around, right? And they can't control themselves very well. And you... um, they experience a confusion, stupor, and they may lapse into a coma. 
Now, if it goes all the way to the inner core, which is called the medulla, your heart rate stops and your breathing ceases. And that's when you die of alcohol poisoning because it's depressant and it's shutting down everything. And the things that are called motor skills or those things that automatically you're blinking and you're breathing, they do them automatically, you don't have to think about them, they begin to shut that down and that's when you end up dying. That's when your heart stops beating. That does it automatically. You don't have to think to make your heart beat. Listen to this verse on the screen and in your outline. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it whirls around smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Or like the one who lies at the top of the mast saying, They have struck me and I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When, I, when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Does that sound familiar to anyone? Sound is awfully familiar to me. And that's what alcohol does. It begins to impair our judgment. It begins to break us down. I mean, this guy's described as a person who can't even feel the punches when they're hitting him. He doesn't even remember what happened. All he wants to do is get up and have another drink. Listen, alcohol impairs your perception, your judgment, and your ability. Has anyone played this game? It's called the, I call it the phone game. You went out the night before. You went to a party. You went someplace. You got drunk. You come home the next day, and you can't remember anything. So you call up your friends that you were out with. Hey, what's going on? Oh, man, I'm not feeling too good. Yeah, whoa, that was some night, huh? You don't know what you did, so you're trying to fish for it, right? He's like, that was some night. <laughs> yeah, that was. I couldn't believe you. Yeah, yeah, that thing I did, right? That thing, you know. Uh, <laughs> you don't know what you did because it's taking those things away from you. Man, listen, 45% of all deaths in automobile accidents are attributed to alcohol. 45% to alcohol. 60% of all homicides are attributed to alcohol. Husbands, don't make your wives angry and then give her alcohol. 6.6 million children under the age of 18 live in homes with at least one alcoholic parent. And alcohol is the most common date rape drug. I had a story I was going to share that I'm not. It's too... It's too much. But some people, you guys have heard stories of the things that cause, that alcohol causes people to lose their judgment and they get in all sorts of predicaments where they shouldn't be, never wanted to be. Listen, we need to ask ourselves this question. We need to ask ourselves, in what ways will this choice have influence over my life? How will it have influence over my life? You see, we have to recognize that things that we do are going to cost us something. You see, for every choice we make, there is some form of commitment that we're giving. We might make a commitment of time, a commitment of funds, a commitment of energy, whatever it is, whatever commitment we do, makes um, we uh, every choice we make is some form of commitment. Commitment, excuse me. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of influence will it have over me? Will it cause me to have impaired judgment? Will it cause me to compromise? These are the questions we need to ask. Listen, I think today is a challenging message for many of us. You see, New Year's is what, a couple days away, right? Oh, man, I want to have a drink, right? 
Listen, I don't know if this message is for everyone here. This message is not designed to make you feel guilty. I'm not telling you whether you can drink or can't drink. This decision, this message is about alcohol, or is not about alcohol, but it's about anything, anything that controls your life. Alcohol and drugs are just the most prominent one that we understand. It's the best example because we can see the effects on its devastation, its addiction, and how it can overtake a person. But there are so many things in our lives that do the same thing. There are so many lawnmowers, if you will. There's a lot of people saying, well, alcohol is not my deal, but what is your deal? What is the thing that's keeping you and robbing you in your life? Some people are addicted to coffee or gambling. We said compulsive shopping, but what about the Internet? Food, sex, alcohol, drugs, video games, sports, jobs, relationships, TV. And we could think of a lot more. You see, it's about that thing that has moved from responsibility to now obsession. That's when it becomes the problem. That's when it's becoming the lawnmower, robbing you of your time, your energy, and resources. And when it calls, you go. You see, any of these can be keeping you from obtaining the goals you want in your life. We're New Year's is right around the corner, like we just said. What's going to keep you from achieving some of the goals next year? As you make your New Year's resolutions, this is what I want you to do. I want you to keep this outline with it. I want you to take this outline and keep it with you and look at those questions. And when you're going about the things that you're doing, ask yourself those questions in regard to the things that you've committed to. Ask yourselves, and it will help you identify whether they are lawnmowers that are controlling your life. As I spoke today to you, uh, maybe you recognized immediately that there's, yeah, I know, there is one. There's some things in my life. There are. Maybe it's something that you've been struggling with. Maybe it's something that you've had for a while and you're just like, you know what, if it's not a lawnmower, if I wasn't struggling with it. Listen, I want to give you a couple things to help you on your way. And number one is I want you to pull out your connection card right here. Look, you guys filled it out. Go ahead, pull it out. Listen, if you're saying, listen, I need more help. I've been trying and I can't do it. I need some counsel. I need some accountability. I need some people to come alongside me. Then here's what you do. On this left side, halfway down, you're going to say, seek counseling assistance. Seek counseling assistant. Check that off. We're going to contact you this week. It doesn't have to be in our offices. We have referrals for certain types of issues that you might be dealing with, or maybe it is something a little bit more simple. We'll counsel you at the office. But if you check that off, we're going to contact you, and then you'll be able to, in the privacy of your own counseling session, be able to find help, find some support for the thing that you might be struggling with. Listen, another thing I want to do is this. I'm going to give you this, and it's the memory verse today. And we should all know this verse. It's from Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to what it says. It's on the screen. It's in your outline. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will, the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless action, but be filled with the Spirit. This is one that we should all know. Because listen, the analogy is very clear here. God is saying, listen, don't be taken over. Don't be controlled by alcohol, the things of the world like alcohol controls you. We know the effects of alcohol. It controls. When you get drunk, you can't stop not being drunk. You can't just say, I'm going to, I don't want to be drunk anymore. It controls you. And he says, don't be like that. But instead, let the Holy Spirit be the thing that controls you. 
Let me be the biggest influence. Let the Holy Spirit be the biggest influence in your life to take you where you need to go. Listen, a lot of us say, well, what does that mean? How do I do that? Well, that's the next two points in your outline. How my life can be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Number one, draw close to God. Draw close to God. Listen to this verse. It says, come close to God and you and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Can I be honest? I don't like the second half of that verse. I'm like, man, that's a harsh verse. I've quoted that verse so many times. The first half. You know, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you, right? Oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'll pray. I'll read my Bible. I'm drawing close to God. But in the context of this, where this verse comes from, it's more than that. He says, you know what? You need to draw close by doing what's right. By being in obedience. You probably heard this somewhere else in the scriptures. It says that God desires obedience, not sacrifice. Be obedient. That's how you draw close to me. When you're being like me, when you're being obedient, that's when you're the most like me. Like me. That's why you're the closest to me. So he says, listen, draw close to me. Listen, the second thing we do is ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit each day. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit each day. God wants to do that in your life. Listen to what he says here in Luke. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from a father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God actually says he will fill us. I mean, you can't get much closer than that, can you? The Holy Spirit will come inside of you. Listen, there are some things that are beyond our power, that are beyond our wisdom, that are beyond our strength to be able to control. And when that lawnmower has got that control over you, you might need something more than just you. You know, you and I, we need God. I'm betting that's why you're sitting here today. That's what brought me to a church. That's what had me sitting in aisles is because I needed God. We all need God. But listen, we need him to help us in our daily life. And God says, I'm willing to do that. Listen, you never know when God wants to do something in your life. You never know when that opportunity comes. You see, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's then that we're walking in the way that God wants. It's then that we find actually what we've been looking for and we didn't maybe even know it. That we're following closely after God. And God fills us with this peace. And He fills us with this contentment because we're like, wow, I'm right where God wants me to be. I don't have to worry about anything else. And we find that that's the type of life that we're actually looking for. The closer you stay in tune with him, the more ready you are to act. Listen, when I told you the stories of the things that I've done up here, most people would never guess that in my life. Most people, when they meet me and I talk to them about issues and problems, literally they say things like this. Oh yeah, you're probably a Christian all your life. You grew up in a great family. They were Christians and you were a Christian all your life. Because they can't believe that I was in these foolish positions that I was in and did the things that I did. I actually don't share these hardly with anyone anymore. 
I told some of them to my wife the other day, and, and Carol goes, hey, I didn't know that. You were arrested before. Listen, people don't even begin to suspect that that might have been part of my life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came inside. Because God did a transforming work. And He made me something that doesn't even resemble what I was before. And the same thing can happen with each and every one of us here. Every single person. We can be living a life that's right after God. And have a life that people look on and go, wow, you know, you've got, you've got everything going for you. Listen, let me close with this. You just never know when the Holy Spirit wants to use you for something great. You never know. And usually, honestly, it's in the most inopportune moment. It's in the most craziest place. It's like, you, you know, you definitely don't want it when you're in the wrong internet site and someone comes in, right? That's not the time. You want to be following after God. And when you're following after God, you're ready at any moment to be used by Him. And every time I think it's going to happen, it's never when it happens. It always happens on the weird sides, the weird places. Listen, it happens in the most unlikely of places. Jesus, when He hung on the cross, He's there on the cross. There was two times that they offered Him something to drink. One time He said, I thirst. And so they put wine on a, a, a sponge on a spear with vinegar and He didn't take it. But before that time... Before he was crucified, it says they offered him gall mixed with wine. And that was wine mixed with myrrh. And myrrh was a um, narcotic. It was a narcotic. And what they would do is the Roman soldiers didn't want these guys struggling, flailing around when they're trying to pin them to a cross and drive a nail through their hands. So they'd give them this narcotic and they would kind of get into a stupor and they wouldn't know what was going on. And then they were easy to do. They come to Jesus and they said, they offered to him and he wouldn't take it. The women who supplied that also wanted them not to feel the pain. He could have been up there without feeling pain, just kind of hanging out. But you know what? Jesus didn't want anything to cloud him. He didn't want to have anything to have an influence over him. Anything, any lawnmower things that would take him away from what God had for him. And you'd think, wow, only his one thing to do, offer his soul up to heaven, right? Die for our sins. That's all he's got to do. Why not make it easy? And yet God had one more thing for Jesus to do. There he hung between two criminals on a cross. And they start talking to him and they start yelling from back and forth, Hey, Son of God, you're the Son of God. Why don't you come down and take yourself off of that cross? If that's what you really are. And they start mocking him and all this stuff. And he's just hanging there. But then after a while, one of them, I don't know, he comes to his senses. I don't know what happened to him. But he suddenly looks over and he started looking at him and he's like, Man, this guy's done nothing to deserve this. And he suddenly realized he is the Son of God. And so he says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus looks over, lucid, able to think clearly, and says to him, I will remember you when I come into paradise. Or, to, excuse me, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know what would have happened if he had taken that drug. What he would have been able to say or slur. Who knows? But Jesus didn't ever want to be in a position where something had control over him, where the Holy Spirit didn't. And that's what that verse is all about. That verse is about we should be controlled by the Holy Spirit and not anything else in this world. Not anything should have that kind of lawnmower control over you and I. Every day is a moment for us to be used. And we don't want to be clouded by other influences. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want me to miss out. I don't want any of us to. Listen, being filled with the Holy Spirit begins with not being influenced by anything else so strongly that it precludes what God has for you and me to do. Let's pray. Lord, I want to 
Thank you today for everybody who's here. And I want to thank you, Lord, that we're on the verge of a new year. Because in some way, we feel like it's the start of a new beginning. And today, Lord, we have that beginning right now. Lord, maybe people are struggling with some lawnmower influence in their life. Lord, I'm praying for them right now that, that you remove that. That you give them the desire and the drive to move forward and move closer to you and to walk away from those things that have influence in their life. Lord, I pray that each person here that would be following after your spirit, that we, you would be in control of us, that it would be you, God, and that we would find our place in the only place that would really make us happy, and that's in your will. Lord, we thank you, and I ask that you bless everyone this week and throughout this year. Watch over them and protect them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.